Hi, everyone. Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. I know a lot of y'all are just celebrating the end of 2020, and that's totally okay. I know it was extremely challenging for me, but it was definitely also the most rewarding and happier of my life. So I'm excited for what 2021 is going to bring us. But whatever the case may be, thank you so much for joining us today. This is going to be a really awesome episode just in time for the holidays. It's going to be a little different than other ones because we recorded the entire session. And then as soon as we finished, we kept recording and the conversation got even better, got a little bit more vulnerable. We started to hear a little bit more details of Jerry's life. But uh, needless to say, I hope that there is a lot of good content on there that you can get out of it, that you can maybe learn and take home to your families this holiday because this could be a true Christmas to remember if it's the year that you mend things with your family. But I hope you guys enjoy it. Please download it, share it. If you like it, review it. Let us know what you think. Bye. Merry Christmas. Welcome back to the activation project where we activate your mind, activate your tribe and activate the world. We are really excited about this episode. It's a holiday episode and we are hoping that this year uh, is going to be a Christmas to remember. We have a very awesome guest today. His name is Jerry. And we actually met him on a very serendipitous night. We were on our way, Autumn and I, to a Christmas party and he was our Lyft driver and he said some things that just kind of blew our minds and we wanted to hear more as I'm sure you guys will want to hear more as well. So how about we start with you, where you're from, a little bit of your background, and then we can talk about what we were talking about that night and what led you to be here today with us. Well, I grew up in Michigan on a little farm community, lived there until I was 18, 19 years old. And then I went out to seek my fortune. I kind of figured out how to be an engineer without going to college. So I went off through creative resume writing and went across the country seeking my fortune in the aircraft industry and building certain things and Lived in eight different states and 14 different cities. And I actually came to Austin for a 90-day contract that ended up being 20 years worth of living here. September was 20 years me being here. I run a small home business and drive Lyft and Uber on the side as extra money and to meet people and to network. And that's how you two met me. I always tell everyone that gets in my car that I'm violently spreading happiness throughout the city. And I think that's what kind of made them smile at the beginning of this. Yes, we absolutely love that. We're like, violently spreading happiness, us too. (laughs) And so we wanted to hear a little bit about how he'd gotten there because it's just so unusual, first of all, to just have somebody enjoying themselves and enjoying what they do and enjoy just doing their work with such wholeheartedness. And it just had such an impact. And, you know, I want to know, like, you know, how did you get to that point of violently spreading happiness? Was it a transitional dilemma of some sort? I had been in a state of pretty much misery for several years. And then a couple of years ago, what started the process was 
an ex-wife that I divorced in the 80s, believe it or not. There had been a dark cloud over my head with the hatred that I had held for her for years and years. Mm. One night, like I mentioned, I accepted her friend request on Facebook. Thank you, Facebook. And decided that I'm forgiven everything that she ever did or said. And I felt a huge relief when I did that. And interestingly enough, I had just heard Carlos Santana saying that forgiveness is a gift that you give to yourself. And I found out that he was right that night. So I forgave everything and I felt a foot taller that night. So absolutely. Wow. And it's beautiful because especially right now during this holiday season, I think there's a lot of people who are estranged from their family and lots of resentments that have built up. And I'm sure that there's totally justifiable reasons why, you know, that you might want to not have communication with them. But transformational forgiveness is it's a key to happiness. And so where did that lead? Well, I stayed on that plateau until the virus hit earlier this year. And that kind of really made me think a lot about a lot of things I had done in my past. I had a period after my divorce where I was a terrible person to a lot of ladies that Mm. I met. We won't take that any further. I wanted to reach out. I knew that that was a place that there was still a lot of unfinished business in my mind, a lot of things that were causing me trauma. And who knows if it was causing them trauma, but that wasn't the reason I set on this venture. I tried to reach out to seven different ladies that I had been a shit to in the past. Oh, is our language okay? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And what was it that had prompted you to do that? There's a movie that Bill Murray's in called um, Broken Flowers that kind of loosely follows what I was into. He went back and sought out his exes for a different reason, but his process of trying to find those ladies and meeting up with them again was kind of my adventure, even though it was for totally different reasons. So there were seven ladies that I had on the list to try and find and make amends for being so dismissive and selfish and all the things that I thought I was being bad for. And I managed to get a hold of six of them through various friends and contacts. And it was quite a process. It was more research than I had ever put in any paper I wrote for college. So (laughs) I, uh, Spent some time finding those ladies and, like I said, met up with six of the seven or talked to them at least and let them know that whether they thought I was a terrible person or not for the way I treated them, I thought I was. And uh, I wanted to let them know that I realized that I had been dismissive and selfish and please forgive me if that was necessary. Mainly the process was for me, but I got a thank you out of six of those seven. And the seventh one, I haven't been able to talk to yet. She hasn't responded. So maybe there's still some dark water there. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that takes so much courage. I just want to tell you how touched my heart is. You even saying that I could not even imagine getting a phone call or an email from an ex and being like, God, what an asshole I am. 
that would just blow my mind. It would blow my mind and it would blow a hole right in my heart if somebody did that, really. And I would also want to point out just like how fortunate you are to have even found that journey. It's sort of like the alchemist, right? That's the journey. We go on it and we end up finding our own treasure. It's the beginning of healing, being able to look back at your life with clarity and looking at all of the situations in which you might have hurt other people and hurt yourself. It's true that forgiveness is for you, you know, but connecting with the humility that it takes to be able to go back and say that you were wrong. And of course, you know, there's two sides to every story. And I'm sure that, you know, he wasn't the only offending party, but that doesn't matter. When it comes to your healing, it doesn't matter what the other person did at the end of the day. Like it, it's the way that you handled it and what was your part and what was your responsibility. And you clean up your side of the street. Yeah. And forgive yourself and then forgive them, you know, because holding on to that resentment, it just leads to a life of pain. And so what happened after that? What changes? And by the way, he watched that movie during 2020 pandemic and was able to reach out to these women and just start this change in his life. Well, I feel lighter. It was some unfinished business and I've never been one to leave things unfinished. And that was a major, major part. Even though I still have that one, the one out of seven that I continue to reach out to and she hasn't responded. We'll see where that ends up. For the most part, The other six that I contacted were extremely gracious. There was a lot of tears and a lot of, I never thought you were that bad, but thank you anyway. And we all walked away smiling, the encounters that I did manage to come across. So That's beautiful. And then how did he get to this place of wanting to violently spread happiness to other people? And what does that mean? Yes. Again, back to the situation we've been in this year with the virus. There's been so much anger and violence towards everything, towards wanting people to try to stay healthy. I mean, why should there be violence on bad things when I could use it to spread happiness? I mean, violently spreading happiness doesn't mean that I'm clobbering somebody until they smile. That's not how it works at all. (laughs) It means that I'm very assertive in my intent to make sure that everybody that I run across is a little happier when they leave. That is what I'm going to continue with because I feel good about it. And I've had some, some really positive responses. So, How have you seen your life change since you started down this path? Well, a big major one was... I sleep better (laughs) because I never slept well. That's huge. I do sleep better. That helps with a lot of other areas. It's helped me focus a little bit. I've always had trouble focusing. I'm very ADHD and can't really follow a path without straying. And this has helped me quite a bit concentrate on putting things together a certain way that helped me move forward, whether it's financially or whether it's emotionally or with relationships. My relationships with my kids have gotten better. Mm. They don't even really know about this journey. Wow. (laughs) 
But don't you think that's something you being in touch with your own heart and so you can touch other people better? That's exactly it. That's what it is. That's what it is. Clean, well, yeah, I like I, think, I like your analogy. Clean up. I cleaned up my, my side, your of the side of the street. Well, yeah, and and like by removing all of that built up, like you know, maybe the resentment that you were carrying for your ex wife, you know, bit by bit, it's opening up those valves of your heart and allowing you to be able to connect with others and be more, you know, authentic. your heart is part of your brain. Yeah. Your heart is part of consciousness, and when we're cut off from it, we're cut off from intuition. We're cut off from being able to connect with people fully. It's a really big part of consciousness. And we, we don't even know about it. Well, enough of your brain is dormant as it is, even in a good state. And mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. consciously cause more of it to go dormant because of negativity just diminishes your capacity and everything. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I ask you a little bit about your childhood? No, not at all. What was that like? Very happy. I grew up on a farm, had one brother. Mom and dad were very loving and had everything we needed and had a very happy childhood. My parents never fought. My brother and I did. (laughs) That's to be expected. expected. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in a great place. We grew up on a farm with the big woods and there was a lot of room to play and run and had a dog that we loved and he ran with us and it was in the cold. We had cold months where it snowed a lot. When do you think you got to the point of being dismissive and in relationships? Uh, Why do you think you got to a point where you showed up my, that way? The whole divorce process I went through in the late 80s. Okay. When that ended on such a bad note, I had a bad taste in my mouth. And I hate to say it, but probably towards ladies, towards females mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. We, a group of us, all quit our jobs and started bartending, and we became very popular in the area we were doing it at and uh, had a following groupies, I guess you could say. (laughs) Those groupies were a big part of the abuse that I did. So you were living kind of in pain because of your relationship and transpired you and you hurt people, hurt people. So you just. I, I didn't know it then. Right. It was just a reaction. It was just, I'm free. Let's go do what I want and heck with anybody else. Mm -hmm. So I was a bad guy to a bunch of ladies that (laughs) I shouldn't have been. We all make mistakes. And the fact that you decided that you were going to go back and make amends for what you had done, it's beautiful. I mean, it really changes everything. It certainly did for me. That's for sure. And I think anybody... You're the only person I've ever heard of doing anything like that ever well so thank you by the way well, but it's an amazing story you're you're welcome it takes a lot of introspection a lot of figuring out that's what you really need to do to fix what the problems that you have going on personally mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, uh, when I was in AA, I did, you know, part of the 12 step program is to go and make amends. And when I did that, first of all, just being able to understand the part that I played and taking responsibility for my actions just completely takes you out of the blame and the victim mode, right? Because I felt like looking back at my life before then, I just saw a bunch of friends who had left me. I thought that they'd abandoned me, you know, when I needed them the most. 
And my sponsor was like, have you ever stopped to think that maybe you left them first for your drugs and alcohol? And a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, wow, that is so true. That's so true. I mean, I was unbearable. You know, it takes a little bit of vulnerability, but I did. Like in my years of abuse, I really hurt people that were very close to me, especially my family, my sisters. And this is the first holiday where I'm not spending it with them. You know, we're kind of estranged. We're not talking and it's been incredibly painful for me. It's been the hardest thing to go through this season. But the truth is, is like people, you know, our loved ones, they put boundaries around us, you know, because of the pain that we've caused. And I know that my heart's in a different place and I know that I'm doing better, but I have to wait for them to want to come and love me and practice love with me again, because the more I push, the more it's going to push them away. But what is important for me to do is to keep the door of my heart open and the door of my life open for when they are ready to come and to forgive me. Because, you know, it's one thing to go and like, make amends and for people to accept it and for you to be able to move on. But there's going to be people who aren't ready to move on and they're not ready to accept the apology yet. And that can be really difficult, but it's the tendency, I think, for you to be like, well, fuck you. You know, like if you don't want me in your life, I don't want you in my life. And I have a very strong proclivity towards that, but I know that that's not going to help anything. So as long as I'm living amends every single day and I'm doing what I can to live my purpose and help others and be of service and be present and keep the door of my heart open, then that's the most that I can do, even though it's painful. I know that Autumn can relate to a little bit of the family stuff. You know, it's just a hard time of year, you know, like... You get around your family, all the old triggers come up, you know, and the fighting and some people would just rather not be with their family, you know, than have to go through that. Mm -hmm. It's not a joyous time. It's a tumultuous time. You just know you're going to walk in the room and that boss, somebody's going to drop that grenade. Someone's going to throw it. Who's throwing the grenade? (laughs) Exactly. And just thinking about how I used to show up during the holidays before, you know, like always on my phone, always thinking about something else, always wishing, you know, maybe I was at a different event. Caught up in watching TV, watching TV, watching TV, you know, doing something to not engage. Yeah. And just wishing that, you know, I could be there fully present and curious, you know, and that's the best way to handle it. When somebody triggers you, when they say something that just really pushes your buttons because you know that family knows how to do that better than anyone. It's just getting curious with yourself and with them, you know, and like just being able to hold space when they explode or you're the one that explodes, you know, and uh, trying to ask yourself, what's going on? Where is this rooted in? And trying to find a way to be able to mend the fence or heal the old wound with them. Because this could be a year where everything changes. This could be a year where you make those long lasting leaps, you know, to bond with your family. But it's going to take someone with courage, right? And the willingness to say, I was wrong. And I'm sorry for the way that, you know, I used to be. Make a big difference. 
And I think your approach to getting curious, you know, when they do come up with a judgment, I have a sister I've not been talking to lately and because she's judgmental. And so now the Otis is on me when she throws those judgments, but she's going to, and just asking her questions like, oh, why do you feel that way? Life is an experiment. Yeah. The main thing is just to trade judgment for curiosity, you know, and trying to really understand what your family is trying to communicate when they're giving you that, you know, judgmental. And I think there's that St. Francis prayer, seek to understand and not to be understood. Absolutely. I wanted to share a beautiful moment that I had the other day watching It's a Wonderful Life, the classic Christmas movie. And, you know, I'd seen it so many times when I was a child, but never as an adult. And I just realized how much a change of perspective can change everything, you know? So he's like living his life, constantly having to do the right thing, putting his desires on the back burner, and then ends up just getting totally fucked. Because his little assistant goes and loses this $8,000 and he's facing bankruptcy or prison. And he's just like, fuck this. You know, I've lived my whole life trying to help other people. And then this is where I end up. Like, I wish I had never been born. And the angel Clarence, who had just been watching, you know, his whole life and had seen everything that he had done. He knew, first of all, exactly how to save him. So he jumps inside the water before poor... Oh, what's his name? I forgot. The main Jimmy guy. Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. Before he jumps in. So then he knows that he's going to jump in and save him. And then he's, you know, he's, he's still upset. And he's like, you know, I wish I'd never been born. And he's like, well, let me show you what the world would have been like if you had never been born. And he sees all the lives that he affected and what the world would have been like if he hadn't. And it just completely changes everything. I mean, he goes from wanting to kill himself to being the happiest man on earth. And when he comes back, realizes that his wife had just gotten all of the help from all of the village of all the people that he had helped to come and bring money so that he wouldn't be in this predicament. And it impacted me so much because I was like thinking, look, your situation, nothing has to change about your situation. But if you can connect to a different perspective to understand that maybe the things that happened in your life has led you to where you are right now and that, you know, you have the opportunity to change your life at any moment, then everything will change for you. All that has to change is your perspective and then your life changes from one minute to the next. That is how powerful the change of perspective can be. That's exactly what I went through. Yes. The power of perspective, which is what timeline therapy and all that is too. Well, yeah, because it takes you from the victim, you know, to being at cause for your life, for realizing that you can control your life from this moment forward. And you can start by letting go of all of the resentments that you have for people and forgive. It's transformational forgiveness is what can just completely change the trajectory of your life. And you have the power to make that change in your life. So we want to urge you guys, if there's any place in your life that you're still holding on to resentment, take a notebook, a journal, write it down and try to ask yourself, you know, what part you might have played in that. So if there's areas that you feel that, you know, like need to go and talk to people and maybe you don't have to talk to them. Maybe you can write a letter 
and burn it, you know, but letting go of all of that stuff is going to enable you to have a much brighter future, a life that you can create of your design. So we wish you guys the happiest of Christmases and stay curious and stay curious because that's the key. Thank you so much, Jerry, for being here with us. It was such a pleasure. It's been fun. Keep violently spreading happiness. I will. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Bye. Merry Christmas. This next part is the unedited version, so you'll hear some phones going off and some clamoring and noise in the background, but it's still very good and worth listening to. Later on in the last 20 years or so, he has become a very religious person. I don't even know if that's the right word. He's become a very judgmental person Mm -hmm. blaming his God. Mm -hmm for his judgmentalness. Mm -hmm. And of course, I really don't fit into any of his mold now. And I don't tolerate it. And this is your brother? Yeah. Is he older or younger? Younger. Younger. Yeah. Why is it always the younger one that gets so high and mighty? Two and a half years younger. So one thing that we were talking about with one of our friends, with her mom, who's very religious, is that they project all their values on other people. That's a tenement of their religion, I think. Well, it's also to cover up their (laughs) own shame and inadequacy, right? Like she had made a mistake of getting divorced. And so then she wanted to pretend like she had never gotten married. And her child Uh was a reminder of that, you know, but so then she had to go extreme and become like the most pious person. And you know what? That's exactly what my ex-husband's mom did too. She became the perfect perfectionist. I mean, my the brother most has been always been perfect since five years old. He's never. Is he an Aquarius? No, no, he's a Capricorn. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> and Brene Brown talks about how perfectionism is rooted in shame. And uh, you have to be perfect, or else you're not good enough or worthy of love that's what it boils down to i don't know but like i said we've narrowed everything we can talk about down to just a tiny little subset which is basically our mom my kids and his kids that's all we can talk about we can't talk about anything else or else you get an argument yeah and that becomes a battle of values like my values are better than your And it's hard because look, you can, we were talking about how you can see it as concern for the other person. Like if my value is to be healthy mentally and physically and your value is different, then you're like, well, I just, you know, I'm trying to help you, you know? And so it's really not accepting them for their values. It's a conflict of values. My values are better than yours, but It's a little trickier than that because we're like, well, I just, you know, I want you to be happy. So I want you to be able to do this and this and that or change this and this and this about you. But what you're really doing is saying you should be like me. You should be. You're right. Mm -hmm. You should be like me. I could be a a lot. I could be a lot better if I was like him. That's exactly, exactly what it is. Right. And so what it really is, is that he has like some sort of honestly, like God complex where everyone around him needs to be like him. And if you're not like him, then it doesn't validate him. He's also 
I only know this, by the way, because I used to do this shit. I used to do this shit to my mom and my sister. Mm. I was constantly assaulting them like they should be like me. And I figured it out one day. I figured it out. So you're doing what your sister does? Uh, yeah, this was 25 years ago. But I figured it out. And it was like I don't this. Know who you are. Me trying to turn them into me. Then me trying to turn them into me was evil. Uh, and I like saw it in myself. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a way I could reach my brother because he's so hateful towards almost everybody. Yeah. He hates yeah. every group that doesn't look like him. Yeah. That's a very suffering person. The only and way to get through that door is through curiosity, yeah. showing genuine interest to get them to break down in their mind why they are like that, why they think that way. Well, it's because it's God's way and there's no other way. Well, that's you, hard to break through. You could. Yes, that is hard to break through. But his God, Bible, his, his God, know. his God. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I honestly, tell me more, I think is the best. And how's Phrase. that working out for you? Yeah. I know the Bible or, very and well, that's too, a problem. though. Or the other phrase, the and, other phrase you could say is, and that's a problem how. And Exactly. But I, the Bible I know talks about Jesus walking with the tax collector and the prostitutes and the sinners. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the friend of the sinners. And his whole message is forgiveness. Unconditional forgiveness. Which is exactly opposite of most people that call themselves Christians. Exactly. It's very clear. If we confess our sins, he is able and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what I take that to mean, because I take most of the Bible metaphorically, is if we come out and talk about these things that are causing shame within us, it frees us. If somebody is there listening, and if we have a genuine desire to change from our old ways, if we were hurting somebody by lying or cheating or even something less bad, like, you know, just being indifferent or dismissive or whatever it is, you know, like, talking about it and then making like the, an actual effort to change, you know, it's, that's it. That's all you have to do. Maybe you should tell your story at the dinner table about what you did with these exes. I think that would be, even your brother would not be able to overlook that. He would not. You're right. I can't see that happening though. No. Because. I can't be this guy that you know around them. You could start it like this. Hey, (laughs) I was on a podcast. Interestingly (laughs) enough, I met these girls and they wanted to hear the story of how I went back and blah, 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 blah. Pretty good segue. What? Podcast? That's what uh, people want to hear about. My parents or my brother were never interested in anything I had to say. Unless it fit into their Norman Rockwell painting. But I think this does. Maybe. I think it does. Maybe. I actually think it does. It was like that for you your whole life growing up? Oh, yeah. Really? That must have been hard. Oh, yeah. So much so that I made a seriously conscious effort with my children to become friends with them because I was never friends with my parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could never call my mom or dad and say, hey, this is what I did today. And it emotionally did this to me. I could never do that. They would never do that to me either. But to my kids, all of them, Hmm. this is bothering me or whatever, whatever it is. So 
I ended the cycle <laughs> awesome. of that because I think that's evil not to get to know your kids. Even though I was completely different in my ways I thought about things than my brother and my mom and dad, I think they should have at least got to know who I was. Yeah. <laughs> well, my dad died. He had a couple of guitars. This is an example. My dad died and my mom calls me and she goes, is there anything? She goes, no, we've, we've saved everything from your dad that we thought you might be interested in keeping. And she goes, is there anything that he had that you might want? And I said, well, I, all I want is his guitars. She goes, oh, we sold those. <laughs> oh. But the, she has never even heard me play guitar. And that's a defining piece of me, are. of who I am. When we were back to visit in June, my daughter, who I'm very close with, we were talking about playing guitar. And my mom goes, you know, I've never heard you play guitar. And Carly was like, What? You've never heard me play guitar? That's all he does. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like there was a lot of room to express your emotions or a lot of See, support this for who is you were. how curiosity can change I like the world. The, I like the curiosity It can change thing. the world. Um, it can change everything. Yeah. But you just have to look. But people don't even know how to do it. They don't really know how to do it. Well, it's hard to do it when you're so focused on yourself and when you haven't gotten curious with yourself and allowed pain to come out. You can't. You have to go first within. And well, it's it's exactly. It honestly starts with a couple of questions. You just have to have that intention like, oh, we're both sitting here side by side, not talking. Maybe I'll it's easier said than before, done. Before that, though, I got to the point was, why am I so fucking unhappy? Why am I so unhappy? Mm-hmm. I had no desire to get curious with people until I let go of all of my pain. And now I can connect and make eye contact and I care about other people, but I didn't care about other people before. And what makes me think your parents must have been holding on to stuff too, you know, because it's a block to intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is intimacy. What were they not wanting to be seen for, you know, and that stopped them from well, wanting to see of- you. Let's maintain this fascia. Let's maintain this Norman Rockwell painting. Well, and that was very common in that day, too. Yeah. Um, For instance, the good thing that happened, my dad, not that my dad died, but when my dad died, from 1958, when my mom and dad met, till 2018, when my dad died, my mom didn't have a single thought of her own. Mm. And I got to know my mom when my dad died because she wasn't him anymore that's crazy so there you go so i did i I did have the talk with her about that so listen to this your brother is modeling your father perfectly he took up the torch at five years old (laughs) well and that's a genetic thing too you know he's just a check Mm -hmm. off the old Mm -hmm. block Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he feels like people need to be like your mom or else they don't love him yeah that's true the part that I have a hard time with is the hatefulness. Sure. All gays should be killed. Statements like that. Well, that's where shame goes. I mean, shame is really the root of all evil. It's it's the, where does he it, live? It's the enemy of love. Colorado Springs. Or Monument, actually. Monument. That's crazy. Just north of there. 
It's yeah. the rudest place I've ever lived in my life. My he, parents lived in Monument for a while. Mm-hmm. That's the way he is. Yeah, there's he, some bad juju in the Monument. Well, well, once you start going down of that path of judgment, there's no stopping. You know, you have to continue to justify your viewpoint of why you're allowed to be so superior and judgmental. Right. There's no end to where shame can take you. You know, yeah. that's what's dividing. Well, that's the part I have to bite my tongue. Like, I think one of my sons is gay. Mm-hmm. How many kids do you have? I have five. Oh, my. A girl and four boys. Mm-hmm. And one of my sons, my oldest son, all of us pretty much think he's gay. He doesn't know that you know. He, 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 I think he struggles with it more than we do. He hasn't gotten to the point where he just said, you know, I'm gay. And we'd all go, thank God. It's about time you told us. <laughs> what do you think is stopping him? Um, pride and anger and a bunch of things. He's always been a real, standoffish person and I think that was that it's a element of protection protection fear of looking weak Mm -hmm. maybe even though I don't know why that would be a weakness but all of his siblings and I and his mom are all very liberal and open arms about that kind of thing and but some of that stuff it's passed down generationally you know he's took on his same beard of your father. But anyway, having my brother say that anybody that's gay should be killed if they don't renounce it or whatever. I feel like saying, well, I think my son's gay. Mm-hmm. Your nephew that you love. Mm-hmm. But that's not inside this narrow little band mm-hmm. we talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that can be really difficult. I mean, it's family, you know, and that's talk about an extremely different value system. Well, a different reality system. It's not just values. It's completely different reality. Oh, yeah. What I hold as profound truth, he sees as complete false. Well, in spiral dynamics, it, when you're at the certain level of, if it, you're going through the color-coded system and you're in the level of orange, orange is absolute, like, right or wrong right mm-hmm. you're either that you're either christian or you're going hell you know or you're muslim it's just being able to mm-hmm. think in black and white right mm-hmm. there's just one way one way and to level out of that level of consciousness you go to tier two which is the ability to connect to different perspectives and understanding that you know that there you know there are multiple that truth is subjective ultimately truth is subjective fact is objective 